Developers, 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 developers. Developers, 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 developers. Yes! Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Jess Chadwick. I'm Todd Snyder. And I'm Chris Gomez. And we are your hosts. We're recording this on the evening of January 23rd, 2018, and tonight we're going to talk about somewhat of a specific topic, uh, but something that I in particular feel like I just don't really have a solid opinion on it, and that is uh, distributed service communication patterns. Uh, no, actually, hold on. That, that was kind of boring. Um, let me try again, and I'll <laughs> add a buzzword in there. What's the best way for your microservices to communicate with each other? So, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but the issue that I'm really trying to figure out, and it is applicable to microservices, but really it's any other time, any time that you have multiple components that need to communicate, kind of what's the best way to do that or what there are a bunch of ways to do that. How do you choose which one that is appropriate for your uh, particular situation? Um, and I'll start out with just kind of giving an example. The, the thing that has really rubbed me the wrong way, and I still to this day, the architect in me is really, really kind of annoyed because I still am not like confident about what the right pattern, even for that specific example, was. And that was we had basically a, a pretty basic end-tier application, right? We had a website. And it contacted a middle service, a middle tier service, which contacted a database to get some data. Basically a CRUD operation across the board, not real complicated. And we decided to, it wasn't my choice, but I certainly went along with it. We decided to insert a service bus in there. I think it was end service bus, right? And so rather than having the UI directly contact the middle tier service through like a web service call or something, an RPC style call, we instead put a message on the bus and waited for a response message to come back from the bus. And this allowed us to distribute the processing amongst a bunch of different workers on the bus and blah, 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 right? And that's why we did it for scale. Um, but it really just seemed to slow everything down. And for me, I was never really comfortable about the fact that I was never really guaranteed a response. And I, I Given that kind of specific example, let's let's start out with that one. And really, I, I want to talk this through. Oh, this is kind of like a therapy session for me, really. <laughs> I just got you guys together just to, you know, help me solve my problems. But, you know, I, I guess let's kind of start talking that one through. And then I want to get on into, you know, what if this were microservices? Because it is even more relevant today with the with the emergence of the po or the popularity of microservices where now you have a bunch of middle tier services talking to each other. And they have to do it quickly, efficiently, and scale, and all of that stuff. So, what, what do you, what do you, what do you think, Chris? What, what, what would you have done in that situation? Do you? Think? So, do I have it straight that you had your front end making a call to what classically would have been like a middle tier, but instead, what you did is you you took this request, and because you wanted scale, or they wanted, I, I'm saying you. Like, yeah, sure. No, you can you, say you me. picked it off. Sure. So um, because they wanted scale, you wanted scale, you said, okay, well, here's the request. Let's, let's pass that off to one of many uh, processors. Yeah. But we make, but, but while we're waiting for that response to come back, we're making the front end sit. It's, yeah, not, like yes. when you call, it's not like when you call the middle tier. Yes. And even though the front end has to sit, the middle tier is going to go fetch the answer and return all in the same HTTP request 
that was still happening, but what you were waiting for was yet another call out to a set of exactly. Yeah. Well, it's so it's the competing consumers pattern where you're like, let me fire a message off to this this mysterious farm of of processors. Orders. There could yep. be one, there could be a hundred. I don't yep. care. Yep. And then what felt funny about it, I'm sure, is that the front end is sitting and waiting when what you probably really were thinking in your head is if I've already made the choice to fire a message off to some mysterious place, then I also have to accept that I don't know when the response is going to return and I or need another mechanism or yeah. if it's going to return. Yeah. And I need another mechanism, something that's maybe more WebRTC or WebSocket based yeah. that will send a message back to my front end when it's ready. Well, no. So this isn't the front end, right? This is all server side. So the browser oh, okay. is sitting there waiting for their synchronous request, right? So that's a normal HTTP request. And now I'm sitting there on the server and all of this is happening on the server. So the server sends out a message on the message bus and is expecting another message coming back to it on the message bus correlated to that first one, right? Effectively a response to the request that it sent out. Yeah. Right. So a, yeah. mass- a matching message, a return message. And I will, I'll throw in another little thing in there. Um, this was, uh, I, I was minimizing, you know, I was saying it's a basic CRUD application. And one of the aspects was that we did have some complex operations when you updated a, a record or something, or, you know, you did something and you were making changes to, to the backend state or something. Some of the, 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 some of the operations could get pretty complex and they really did deserve, uh, this kind of scaling model. Right. But since we had that model in place, we also went and decided to go ahead and do it for the gets as well. And that is yeah. also another aspect That's of this kind of too, weird, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that kind of plays into CQRS, right? Where it just kind of says, well, just use your your gets, just simple, you know, go right to the source and all of the updates can be this complex, scalable thing, right? I'm, I'm you want gets to be but... simple, fast, maybe even as much in memory as possible. Yeah, yeah. As close to the, you know, and these are all difficult problems, but... If you can get everything in memory close to the source, then, oh, what's this answer? What's my address? Oh, you've got it. Great. Yeah. Instead of, all right, let me put a message on a bus to tell somebody else. Can you put a message back on the bus that I need my address? Yeah. I I understand why that feels weird. In fact, I have been part of something similar. Uh, It did work. But then you start to wonder as you keep adding hops, what what was each hop? Was it 100 milliseconds? 80? I don't even know. Yeah, I don't even know. Let's say they were 60. Yeah. You make three of them, and now you're 180 milliseconds. You haven't done anything else yet. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Which ultimately is the challenge with all this technology is balancing the benefit to the cost, right? I mean, you think about it just from a simple web page, right? If I have a web page, I want to make three different requests. There's a cost making the three requests, right? Ideally, I'd make a single right. request. Yeah. Which it sounds like what you basically were doing. You're making a single request to the server, and then from the server, there was a complex operation of some kind. So it's like, I instead of just calling three things itself, you put it into a message bus. Yeah, I mean, for the sake of argument, let's say that some, certainly not all, but some of our, even our GET requests were like collecting, aggregating data from different sources and returning that one object, right? So even some of our GET requests were, were not that simple. And that's why with the, the popularity of, of microservices kind of coming up lately, it's been really hitting back home again for me because it's reminding me of this thing because now that's kind of what happens, right? You, you send out 
a request and you've got a, a, um, a, a customer's microservice and an order's microservice and, and a product's microservice and they all have each piece of the puzzle and then you have to aggregate them together. And that's like the pattern of microservices, right? To completely oversimplify it. I, I mean, first, I mean, do you want to challenge that? Am I totally off in that oversimplification I of microservices? I think that in the pure software pattern definition, you are correct. Yeah. Having worked with similar systems for quite a few years, it falls down real quick. Sure, yeah. You're better off. What you end up doing is building another service on top that kind of orchestrates everything. Well, sure. No, but then you're just kind of bumping that problem up, right? You're abstracting the problem. You still have data in three different places that you're putting together in, in yeah. somewhere, right? And, and that is mind. multiple calls. Going back to Chris's point of 100 yeah. milliseconds and multiple calls, those calls may be happening in parallel. And mm-hmm. let's, for the sake of argument, let's say that my system was doing that too, was making those three calls in parallel. But Well, this gets into a whole other realm of ide- problems, right? If you're trying to aggregate data real time, that's a huge cost. And it affects scalability more than anything else. Yeah. Right. If you have 100 users are trying to aggregate data, it, it works fine. If you try to do 10,000, 20,000, yeah, and then you need lots of machines, lots of microservices, to even to make it work for a few. Which is ultimately, I think, the challenge here is when you think of design patterns, right? The first good rule of design patterns is is it the right pattern in that context? When you're writing message buses and, and, and this idea of distributed computing and things, you are inherently going to take a, a hit from performance. It's just the nature of how this works. Because you have state that has to move from one service to another service. And a lot of times that state has to have more information than just custom, right? If I need if I need to ask the order system for orders, I'm not going to ask them for all the orders, right? I'm going to say, here's a customer or something, or at least a piece of that information. Go give me all the orders for this customer. Well, now you have all that state being moved around. And somewhere you're aggregating it all together, it just, there's this huge cost. And every time you cross the wire, that's a good way to look at microservices. Even though they can physically be next to each other, it's like crossing a network wire, right? It's hopefully instantaneous in a good system, but you're going to whatever state you're going to pass back, you're going to serialize it, bring it back to the other service, deserialize it into what you're going to work with, and you have to go along the way, which is ultimately what a message bus is doing, right? It's taking a message or, or some piece of information, it's putting it somewhere, somebody else is watching it, and every time it wants to take it off, it has to serialize and deserialize. Not really buying that, though, because even if we're doing the alternative, the RPC, right? I, I, that's what I call the remote, yeah, I mean, that's a common alternative. Remote, remote procedure call, right? They're just basically the simple web request, another an HTTP request, and you sit there and you wait for the request to process, and then you get your response back literally in the same channel that you requested it, right? That's what I'm when I say RPC. Yeah. That's what I mean. So if you if you compare it to that approach, which is very straightforward, very simple, still prone to failure, right? What if that request fails? What if the network fails? All this stuff. There's still yeah. a lot of failure, which is why one of the other reasons that we were we were hoping that messaging uh, would add kind of resiliency to this. But putting that aside for right now you still have the same thing. When you're talking about serializing, serialization of the message and deserialization of the message, it's still exactly the same thing. The client, the request, has to create that message, serialize it, send it over the wire. The consumer, the, the, the server, the thing that is you know producing the response eventually, has to deserialize the request, process it, and then serialize its thing and send it back. Right? Am I missing what you were... It, well, it's basically, the, the, as far as I'm seeing it, the message bus is just a different channel. I don't really see how there's additional well, overhead no, it, in this. It's additional layers, right? Sure, but so, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, every if I let's go to traditional application, right? 
I go from client to server. I send an ID. Give me customer and all its orders. Right. All I need is to send the customer ID. You make a couple database calls. You aggregate all that data together. So where have you paid the serialization cost? You pay the serialization cost from the database to your objects, your objects to what goes down to the client. If I introduce two microservices, I've increased that by two now, right? This is the idea. This is the, the ultimate challenge of scalability and performance do not work together. They, they actually can contradict each other. So the idea of microservices, the idea is, oh, if I have 10,000 users, I get to say, put all these out into a, into a system and you scale the microservices up and down and everything's happy. But I've incurred a cost. And if you have a simple enough system, the overhead could be too much. Or like you said, the Git operations, right? This is, I think, the problem that we a lot of developers face is we live in a world where we want to try to like make everything perform well. And sometimes it's there's not a silver bullet. <laughs> and that's the problem, right? And like you were saying, whether it's RPC or or microservices or distributed system, there's going to be serialization, right? The question is, if you incur the extra hop, what are you buying? Like, why did you choose? What was the advantage of the service bus? You talk about resilience. Okay, resilience, that's a plus. But then you have to balance that with everything, the drawbacks. That's my point. There is, there is an inherent overhead, I guess is the right word, by just simply going from a monolithic approach to microservice approach. Not saying one's right or one's wrong. I mean, I actually think... I think for, if everyone's followed our podcast for a while, we all were big components of componentization, right? We wouldn't create one big long function to do this. We'd create different classes and things to do it. Now, instead of just calling class A, call class B, we're putting those behind some kind of service, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little more about RPC. So when when people think about RPC, there's a lot of, at least in my experience, a lot of negative association with that. Because people think of the whole idea of the traditional class, right? If you go back in time to DCOM and Corbro and some other things, that was kind of the, this magic idea that in COM days, we'd have an object, customer, right? Now we want to go get the orders for customer. We are supposed to do not care where that was. We're just simply make a call, and behind the scenes, COM and DCOM would magically figure out, oh, that's on a whole other server, right? That was the 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 benefit or the so-called benefit of something right but the idea was you were still communicating it like it was an object you weren't treating it like a service so when you look at something like http http was a game changer right it forced us to force everything down port 80 right and at the time xml was the the answer to all questions right now we've moved from xml to json which is obviously a smaller footprint but it's still the same challenge right we're just taking some state set of state and we're just moving from one place to another. Right. How you choose to do it, you should only introduce things, layers, when they provide a benefit, right? Because you're adding complexity, right? How many developers know no end service bus or some other service bus system? Or in my case, the application I've worked here on local, uh, recently, we've been working a lot with Service Fabric, which is a great and very interesting and powerful technology, but it has that same inherent problem. Every time I want to call one service to another service, there's some hoops I have to jump through to make that work. And I have to kind of balance out with, okay, how much responsibility do I want to give this service for that service versus what I'm really trying to solve? Right. No, and, and I'm hearing you. I, I think it might be helpful to back up and kind of zone right into the very specific idea of 
because you're talking about you know using the right technology and the right uh, avoiding hops and all this stuff. So let's let's get back into using the message bus, specifically the kind of respect re- request response pattern of the message bus, which it seems many, if not all of the kind of uh, popular message bus and service bus and, and others, or even the, the uh, message queuing systems, ActiveMQ, RabbitMQ, uh, they, they seem to support this, which is the ability to kind of correlate messages or even at least the API allows you to say, send out this message and wait for the other one to, to come back, right? right? Wait, wait for the response to come back. Yeah. Uh, that that feels on the face of it it feels wrong to me it it feels uh, like an abuse of the the technology because for me messaging or eventing and message buses are at least primarily for or best for when i send a message it's more of a broadcast mm-hmm. you know an event so this event happened it's mostly for eventing uh, and maybe that's just a limited view uh, of maybe I'm just viewing the technology in a limited way, but it feels like using it for more of that is kind of an abuse of the technology, right? That is what is, is what it's best for. And you get zero to many listeners for this one event and they can handle it in different ways. And however long it takes them to respond to it or react to it, um, or even if there is anyone reacting to it at all, is really kind of irrelevant to the one who sent it. And once the one who sent it is sitting around waiting for a response to come from somewhere, it feels kind of weird because first of all, there's the chance that nobody actually hears this event, hears this message and therefore doesn't respond to it. or doesn't react to it, let alone respond to it. And then the opposite, which is many handlers respond <laughs> to it. And now the, 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 the requester or the sender is, is now left with having to figure out which response to, use right yeah i mean ultimately right the idea of a message bus is is, or any kind of messaging system is it's a queue right i want to put something on the queue yeah somebody's watching it ideally they're taking it off the queue and at some point they're putting something back on the queue and then it's up to you your original client or your original guy who stuck it on the queue to watch it right watch 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 for his messages and it's you're forcing what you end up doing is you're forcing a async operation to a synchronous operation and I think what you're the, what you're questioning is the idea you've wanted, you've actually added so much overhead for something you wanted synchronous. So the benefit you were gaining is because it's the uh, is well, eliminated. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure about that because one of the main benefits, especially when we relate it to microservices, is the simplicity of discovery. Right now, I'm no law in order to make an RPC call to an endpoint, I need to discover that endpoint. I need to know what endpoint I'm calling as opposed to just interacting with a queue and just popping a message on a queue and saying, I know this is going to get it to, 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 to the, uh, the, the place it needs to be. Right. Well, it depends. Like if you've turned your system into a series of events, like you were saying earlier, the customers change their address. Who cares that the customers change their address? Maybe as the front end, I don't want to know. I don't want to think about that billing cares and operations cares and shipping cares. Maybe that, that, and this is how you've designed your system. How do you view the world? If you don't want to care about those things, then messaging is a fire and forget operation. Like I've put this on a queue and then whatever happens, happens. And, but what, what is done, what is a little, what I think leads to the pattern of 
well, let's also wait for another message to come back on the bus, is that's a little unsatisfying to the front end because on the front end, you you have this uh, instinct that, well, I want to see the update. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So the, the programmer in us says, well, don't I have to query again to see the update? And And I think maybe if we go to the eventual consistency gurus, their response might be, well, you already know what the update is. So as the front end, just just show it, show the new address. It's not your worry that it hasn't gotten to shipping yet and it hasn't gotten to billing yet. You know, these fictitious departments that I'm sure, making up. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Or so, up um, systems, right? Or other computer systems. One well, could be a mainframe system or something. You, oh, sure. Who knows how long it's going to take for it to get it up It could end up ending up on somebody's printout just because that's what <laughs> yeah. the process leads it. It goes into somebody's mailbox and that this service's job is to put it on some clerk's printout, which he takes every day and puts on his clipboard. I don't know. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's an executive realistic. that doesn't use his computer much. <laughs> a report gets shit well, right and, and that's what, and, and I think from the eventual consistency point of view, they're like, you don't know how long that consistency is. But I don't, I don't want to get too far away from what you're saying, Jess. I think, I think what happens here is, is somebody when you go to implement that system, it's because you you go look at the features of what uh, a message queue offers. You just said like. Most of the major messaging systems offer this, but what they're really offering is it is it that we're attracted to it because we're getting free retry and free circuit breaking, yeah, and free and load balancing, free and load balancing, and we go, oh, that's and... it's great. We're getting all of this for free, but we're turning what was what was meant to be an asynchronous message system to Todd's point into something synchronous again, and so it feels wrong and broken. Yes. So Chris, well, I think, you hit I think it's you, you, you keep you both of you now. I mean, you were Chris were quoting Todd, but both of you have talked about synchronous and asynchronous, which are very interesting terms. And I think that is one of the that is kind of the root of what I'm upset about. Um, but when I kick a when I kick a message onto the queue, a request onto the queue, and then I wait for the response that waiting can be literally a blocking and wait, or it can be, I can have an event handler that when this response is sent back, I can then kind of come back to life. Um, I don't, I don't really know what, <laughs> what I'm trying to split hairs about, but I, I am splitting hairs about the, 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 the term asynchronous and synchronous because I'm not sitting there blocking, you know, I, I can kind of free up the thread in the, in the, in the most rawest, raw sense of asynchronous. But. I was specifically talking more about from the... So remember, the UI, right? The user did something in the UI. They kicked off this operation. Yeah, sure. Yeah, They've made yeah. a call. Yeah. They are waiting for a response, yeah. right? Yes. Behind the scenes, Microsoft has made it easier, right? Where they hold a sync await, and that yeah. kind of magically work makes it work for you, right? Yeah. It kind of tricks you into thinking it's asynchronous when it can end up being synchronous. That's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. All right, I take it back then. We can move on. <laughs> so I, I think it may be, may be helpful to kind of talk about, and I'm going to give a very high-level example of something I worked on many, many years ago, that there is an inherent idea of when queues make sense, right? It, Chris has mentioned something about that you already made the change, right? So you don't have to. Like, if I'm typing an address in my screen, right, and I hit submit, I'm not going back to the server to figure out what the server has. I've, I've already changed it in the UI. When we get into something a little more interesting is when the user makes a re- some kind of request, like search. Search engine is a great example, right? I type a search word in, some settings, and I hit a button. The UI doesn't have that data, right? We have to go off and make that request. Now, in the way search engines work is they don't go 
searching the internet as, as when you hit that button, it's already cached ahead of time. But if you had a queuing type system where in your database, right, you had to hit, let's say, keep it simple. When a request came in for some search term, right, let's think of bill code or something, and you had to hit three different systems, right? So instead of you hitting system one, system two, system three, and then making the UI wait, ideally, you would queue up the, the UI would make the request and say, hey, whenever you get back to me, let me know. I'll move on, let the user do on something else. And I think in those type of systems, the idea of a message bus system makes sense, right? Because I don't want to make things block and wait. It's when you take a technology or pattern and all of a sudden you're trying to make every operation that way, what seems great on paper, it there's a cost. And that ultimately is, you said that your architect in you was feeling that, that like this is wrong. That's the thing is the thing you were feeling. You're like, I'm taking this, what should be a simple operation, go to the database, get a customer, put it on the screen. Now I'm like, hey, customer requests, go send this somewhere and I'll wait till you come back. <laughs> okay, so when is it appropriate to use that then? I mean, it's in the API, right? So when when is it appropriate to use that request response on a message queue? When is it appropriate to use a message queue in the request response style? In my opinion, it's when you're going to make a multiple operation call that you cannot control and the UI can the UI can move forward. But then what are you waiting for a response for? You're not. You then need to move but that queuing operation you, to the client. No, but then you are, right? That's what I'm saying. That's what the API is, is make this call and wait synchronously, you know, block until this comes back. And the point I was trying to make earlier is that can be asynchronous uh, blocking. But yeah, I mean, basically yeah. you're not responding to the initial client, the, the browser request, let's call it, in a, in a web scenario, you're not responding, you're not completing this operation until you receive a response back. That is the API. When is that appropriate? Again, I think if you have to make a call out to a system and you don't know when it's going to come back. Like, say you're going to call it some mainframe, right? And you, the, it, you're going to call a job on the mainframe. It could be maybe a minute. It could be three days. You don't know how long it's going to take. Don't we have to accept that that's every call? Like, once, right. once you make a call... Uh, well, also, if you control you it, right, you have a you have an idea that if you're going to call your database, there's an expectation that it's going to be seconds. Sure, <laughs> sure. And you know, I think we we get very lucky in that we can make a lot of these calls without even writing a line of code that thinks about failure, timeout, dis- server disappeared, and we get away with it because the the default want want broken. We end up just telling the user, "Sorry, it couldn't be completed." It refreshed. And the users and the user, yeah, and the users live with it, right? They just live with it because we don't come up with. And this is these, these are such super super hard problems to say. Okay, what are we going to do when the user just simply does something as dumb as checks a box, and our server is not there to handle it, right? It just it just didn't work, and. You get the feeling, and I'm gonna. I'll, I'll go ahead and pick on somebody. I, I get the feeling that these are the kinds of issues that folks like Amazon think about, because they are bound and determined. When you say you want to buy something, that they are going to find a way to sell it to you. <laughs> yep, get yeah, it in your cart. Into the keep your reminders. Yeah. Hey, this is in your cart. You didn't buy it yet. It's in your They're cart. Gonna, well, and, and yeah, but even by finding a way to sell it to you, is that I've gone ahead and okayed the purchase, but now. Because of the world is busy, uh, my internet went down, whatever. They have to think through all of those scenarios of, well, somehow I want to make you happy as a customer. I'm going to try and sell this thing to you. So 
we've got to figure out what to do if if you ordered and it ended up being out of stock oops or you ordered and the method the the order kind of just went away what am i going to show you on the screen am i going to say sorry mm-hmm. you know sorry we stink go buy it from someone else they're not going to do that yeah and definitely in amazon's terms right they they need to get that process your credit card right away and things like that but in in a line of business application sometimes you do not have that luxury so yeah, I actually thought sure. of a good example of this. So I had to work on a customer system where a user would check a box that says, all right, I want to purchase the order now. I want to make this a real thing. I've done my work. But we couldn't actually move it to that state until it got a date back. And that date came from another system. So we ended up doing is basically storing. You've made this request. The request would happen some other time. And until that time, the UI would just be right. in pending request. Right? And they could actually leave the app and come back. So the, it wasn't even like, like where the queuing would help us per se. It actually ended up being a queue behind the scenes. But basically the idea was we just simply moved the record from this state to that state. And the state was, Hey, I'm waiting for something to happen. And eventually it happened. Data, our data got updated. And when the user came back, it says, Oh, great. Now it's in, now I have my order date and I'm done. I can move on to the next piece. So it's, I don't think we're really addressing Jess's real question though. I think the question is, can all, is there a benefit to all operations being pups up or on a message bus? Right. right. And, and one of the aspects of that question, one of the bigger aspects is all the operations, right? Including the, the simple gets. And, and is that one of the big differentiators? I mean, if we say, if we separate get a read from any other write or change or update, delete, anything like that, if we separate the reads, is the answer cl- more clear? Is it clear or or not? Is it still fuzzy? Right? Is it so? If we focus just on the read, mm-hmm. is there or are, are there times when we would want to prefer that messaging pattern? We would want to use that messaging pattern over just a simple RPC style, right to the middle tier, maybe even right to the data source, and just go and grab that data. When would we want to introduce a messaging request response? I would say is when something else has to happen. Another action is dependent upon it. So if I'm going to bring back a customer and like, I don't know, maybe it's monitoring on the system or something, or you have to validate something. I, it's hard to come up with such an abstract thing. Well, that, and that's where I get to, right? And that, because just getting, using the messaging platform to me opens up so many opportunities. Now, you can do the same thing with an RPC call, right? You can attach listeners and handlers and stuff onto web calls as well. You can watch HTTP traffic and react to it and log it and audit it and all that stuff. That's what Splunk does, you know. Um, But I just feel like when you use a message bus, you open the message itself. It's a first-class citizen. The request is a first-class citizen. It's not something like an HTTP request where you can watch and uh, log and then maybe react to that event, but you can actually access the event itself in real time and be a first-class citizen. If you, and by you, I mean a, a, a piece of logic that wants to operate on that thing, you can actually be part of that pipeline just by being added to that ecosystem, right? So mm-hmm. you, you join that message bus and you say, hey, I'm interested in hearing about these messages. And now all of a sudden you're participating as a first-class citizen right along with the one, the, the other services that are, for example, in this example, actually going and getting the data and returning it to the initial caller, mm-hmm. right? And so now you can start doing stuff. And so there are still other ways to do that with an RPC call, right? You can 
you can have IIS if you're if you're using Internet Explorer or um, IIS and, and .NET. You can attach handlers and, and things, but at that point you're you're clamping on to the pipeline, right? You feel mm-hmm. like a second class citizen. You're not you're not right there. Do you understand the differentiation I'm trying to make there? And I just feel like that kind of it, sort it promotes of, right? it's abstraction, right? Yeah, it's, it's a level of abstraction, right? If I'm if I put something on a message queue. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen, right? It's up to whoever's going to listen to to act upon it. Where yeah. if it's if it's more of a RPC call, I'm kind of inherently have to put everything in there. Exactly. Right? Right. Yes, and that's that's kind of my point too. Is that it feels like it's against the pattern to like kind of add and attach handlers and listeners and stuff onto an RPC call because they're not supposed to be there. That true ideal RPC call is from is the request from the client to the server and the server responds and it sends back, right? And to add anything onto that is kind of against the 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 the, the pattern. Whereas kind of the fundamentals of the messaging pattern or message bus pattern is hey, I'm gonna send this message out and zero to many consumers are going to are going to react to it right yeah and i think i mean look that pattern works best when the task is asynchronous and the task might be handled by uh, consumers that can work in parallel so that you don't have to worry which one finishes first and i don't know that it works as well when there's somebody depending on zero to n of those tasks finishing right because uh if you are depending on that because you are, you're the UI and the UI is dependent here is, did I get the message sent? That that's about the most that yeah, it can right, really right, wait for. Right. Because mm-hmm. after that, and, and you know, in your original scenario, not only were you waiting for the message to be sent, you were waiting for a message to come back. Well, just basically yeah. you, what were you doing? Monitoring another queue and saying, okay, I expect a message on this queue to show up and that's when I'm going to as the web server pick up that response and that will be my reply to the get. Well, the implementation is almost irrelevant because I'm really focusing on using the API. Like so in our example we were using end service bus and so end service bus provides the API. It's literally like a different call, it's a different type of message to say I want to send I forget what it is now, but like I'm going to send this message, but it's not an asynchronous send. It is a send and wait for the response. And they had different names for it. It's been years since this happened. So I yeah, I mean, at a high level, right? The idea is you're not going to another queue. You're going to listen on that request. Like right. you're going to wait for something to come no, back. No, 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 no. But that so underneath, I think it is creating a send response queue. There is so I, underneath, yeah. I think Chris is is uh, correct. My the point I'm making is that I, the reason I forget about it is because I didn't need to know because the API kind of handled that for me, right? And Service Bus created that queue for me automatically. And since we never really went to production with this, or at least I wasn't <laughs> around when we did, I didn't have to maintain it. Otherwise, I would know it better. Um, but it, it, the point is, these APIs are 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 doing this for me, right? I can just send out this message, and then the implementation handles it. Maybe it does rec- create a response queue that is like destined just back to me, and so the the handler that is the the service that is handling it sends it back to my queue specifically and that's how that interaction happens but that's almost kind of irrelevant because it can happen in any number of different ways you know the other way is that the the handler can send another broadcast message out to everybody with that correlation id that says hey here's you sent yeah. me a response 123 here or sorry you sent me sent me the request 123 here's response for request 123 
And yeah. you just send that to everybody. And everybody else but me is ignoring it because I'm the one who sent request one, two, three. I think you hit on something very important there is the technology, the framework you were working with made it possible for you not to care about yes. if it was using a different key or not. Right. But again, I think the part of you that was questioning why you were doing this is you can see there's probably overhead in that. Yeah. Right. There, there, there's a, there's a drawback. Um, I think the idea here is, I mean, when we go more into microservices, the idea of microservices even adds another level, right? Because typically they're going to be distributed. I don't know where that service is going to be physically located, right? I'm going to call something, and that technology is going to be like, hey, you need the customer microservice. I'm going to kind of bring it up over here. You're not going to know where that is. And I think that's the the lore of microservices is this idea that I don't care, right? I'm going to call something, and something will make sure it happens. Yeah. I don't care for what... Like I don't need to be a specific port, and the server doesn't need to be up at the time. It's there's an abstraction that makes it possible for me. And it sounds like you were kind of doing the same thing. You were kind of trying to get that microservices advantage. You were just using a service bus to do it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know what? I, I, I just want to take a, a minute to stop here, not for a commercial break because we don't have commercials. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but just to point out that I feel like some more senior architects have been screaming at this show for, for probably quite some time, uh, probably at me for how ignorant a lot of the comments I've been making. I, I just want to, I just want to point that out. I, I feel like, uh, Oh, it's probably true. It's yeah. probably true. Right. Like, yeah. what do you, don't you understand? There's a simple way. And I do think there's a message queuing pattern that was probably implemented under the hood there where there was for each of your senders, there may have been a, a dedicated response queue. And then the receivers were all listening on a shared message queue so that, because to me, it sounds like, like, you know, the, the front ends are doing this get, but zero to N processors could be listening for it. So that's yeah. a shared competing consumers pattern. Yeah. But I want to hear the response. So I need a queue of some kind. And this, I mean, you know, virtual queue with that, that I'm just going to be, it's, it's almost like I'm looking at my mailbox for the flag to go up. Yep. Right. I mean, that email is a great example of trying to describe message queues. Yeah. It's the same thing. The difference is instead of being an email that someone re reads, it's a system. Oh, I got a new email. I got to do something. I mean, back in the old, old days of the internet, that's how the internet actually worked. No, and right. I, I, and I, I get that. I, I get that, but that, and that is a good metaphor. So let's let's really just beat that metaphor to death. So when I I made the, the comment earlier that this it's just a different channel, and I meant that in the the, the most vague yeah, yeah. way possible, right? When we're comparing even just vaguely the RPC to messaging, and I'm trying to accomplish the same thing, which is get my message to from me to you. Let's say you, Todd. Right? I want to yeah. send a message, and let's talk about mail. Not email, but let's talk about actual snail mail, right? I've got a letter that I want to send from me to you. I can take it in the RPC metaphor here. The RPC call is I go and I literally physically Secret walk it to your house. Yes, yep. which is in. easy because you're only a couple miles away from me. <laughs> and then I grab the letter from you. You respond to me right there. I sit there and I wait for it, right? You knock on the door. <laughs> and then, right, I knock on the door and you say, oh, thanks for sending me the letter. I'm going to sit right here and write you one back while you're waiting. I say, great, that's great. Yeah. And I grab that letter and I walk back to my house, right? Yeah. Versus 
the postman, right? <laughs> I go and I put that letter in an envelope. I put it in my mailbox, and then the postman comes. I see the postman come and take it out of my mailbox, yeah. and then and some and someday it'll get to Todd. Someday, I'll probably get, three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'll sit there for, and I will wait. I will wait for that flag on my mailbox to go up for the next week because I cannot wait to hear back from you to hear what you said. And then one day, maybe, maybe not, it could be two days, it could be seven days, that flag's going to come up, I'm going to go and I'm going to get that message. Yeah. So the reason why I think this pattern is, ends up being chosen is because, it, the, for whatever reason, maybe because it was something an architect read, or it seemed like a good idea at the time, or it truly saved some time, is decoupling the workflows was favored over latency. Yeah, that's a good, good analogy. Right, because you decided that it was more important to decouple even the act of of receiving the message, like of receiving the response. That's even been decoupled because I, I don't I don't want to think about it. I just want to watch a message queue. Yeah. And when it comes back, then I'm gonna pick that message up and 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 now I can finally give the get response back to the to the first web browser call. Yeah. Where in a so traditional we go far enough back and we talk about how web server used to call application server used to call database server. The get would come to the application server. It would make a SQL call, come back and, and it was all happening really, really quick. And if you wanted to cut that latency down, get rid of that second hop too. And you try to get as much of the final data as possible, as close to the web server as you can, if not in a cache right on the server. That's a great example. Right. And so, First of all, you guys, both of you, have keep coming back to performance and latency, right, and hops and all of this stuff. And as, as far as I can tell, maybe I've missed another argument that you've made. That is really the argument against it or really the argument I, for RPC so. is limited latency. I haven't really heard much more. And now the the kind but, of benefits that I'm saying are things like uh, the, 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 the simplification of a distributed system, right? I can add more listeners. I can scale this thing up by just adding more listeners to this queue uh, versus actually having to like add a discovery mechanism that now it's the, the, the client's responsibility, the caller's responsibility to figure out who am I going to RPC to versus just sending it and letting the mail carrier figure out you know, where, where this house lives that is at this address versus me literally having to like put it into Google maps and, and walk over. Right. We're really killing this metaphor. I hope, hopefully, yeah. hopefully it works out. <laughs> I mean, you're <laughs> on the right. How did we used to solve this before? We used to solve this before by with a load balancer yeah, sure, saying right. that your get request is going to go right. to, to one to N application servers. But the, 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 on the flip side, the, the data was on big iron because that scales up. But yes, but so the I'm I'm, a, I'm I'm coming back at that by saying we we've already kind of end tier architecture is kind of an accepted pattern and honestly as I'm saying that I'm now thinking back to CQRS which is saying mm-hmm. hey right. and the get NQ or end uh, tier is probably not the best but yeah, right taking CQRS aside we have as an industry we've kind of settled on end tier we've kind of accepted that second hop to the database in the spirit of you know, putting the logic on the server on the middle tier and keeping the data in the database and that encapsulation and keeping those separation of concerns. Yeah, but then and, the first thing we do is implement a cache on the web server so that we don't have to go back to the database for performance reasons. Yes. Sure, of course. Latency versus latency versus uh, well, yeah, the, correct the, responsibility, the, I guess. <laughs> it's it's the the idea of most times you don't care what's in the database; you care what's your you have a memory, yeah, system data. 
I, and I, I think a couple of things are important here is if you have a system, right? Say your 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 servers in New York and your customers in Hong Kong, the latency is going to be bad. <laughs> there are actually going to be times where the latency is so bad you actually need a queuing system, right? Yeah. Where you end up using caches or other things. You you use distributed computing to solve that problem. Yeah, yeah. But I think right, or or for other reasons, the the network is so uh, fragile that errors happen a yeah. lot. And I think that. the idea with RPC is it's a somewhat predictable result, right? If I'm going to call service X, and I can test and say, okay, that's going to take three seconds to get that data back, right? And as long as I don't ask for millions and millions of rows, generally it's going to be three seconds. The minute I introduce a, a messaging system, I don't know how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gating decoupling at the overhead of not having that, that, that predictability. Okay. And by doing that, I can scale up, right? Because that, that would be the idea that, or if I can put 10 things listening on here, well, then the response is be real quick. Right. Where before, if I had to go through my RPC type of call, I can only scale it so far, right? I can only put so many servers on a low balance server, and I had to have physical hardware, right? If we start getting into the whole microservice this idea for cloud systems, is I don't care about the physical hardware. All I care about is I've deployed this service, whether it's in Azure or AWS or Watson or whatever, and it's the minute a request comes in, the cloud services will make sure it responds and gets yeah. back to me. So I, I guess the, I look at microservices sort of as they're kind of a – you don't need to use a message bus with microservices. But if you were, you kind of they kind of work very naturally together. Yeah, well, right. And that's kind of the conclusion I'm coming to, primarily for those, those, those right operations, those change operations, right, where you're actually doing some complex logic and having to synchronize systems versus a simple read. So uh, – Let's say I concede. So I, it feels like you're telling me that we did it all wrong um, and that we made <laughs> well, the wrong choice and we should have used RPC calls, especially for the reads, but probably for, for pretty much everything. And uh, using a message bus from the UI to uh, or from the web server to the middle tier servers was just completely over architecting and ended up slowing you, it down. You might have gotten some other benefit, though, that we're not talking about, like those back-end processors might have been small, very ignorant services. They right? were. They were. No, they absolutely That's were. That's a different benefit. And and so the other benefit for me is I mean, what what is always so important. I, I'm trying to say the most important, but so important for me is developer productivity, which maintainability is kind of goes hand in hand with that, right? The ability sure, for developers right. to come in and use the system, make changes, get those changes out into production. That like, that is at the top, except for perhaps performance. <laughs> well, but you know what I like though is, okay, so did you get this? Because this happens all the time to me is since you had these systems that were pretty ignorant of the world they lived in, these processors that were just, that they were sure they were responding to get requests, but they didn't know that. They could be tested with simple console hosts, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Run a console host and test the service without, this this is a term I use at, at various places I've worked all the time, is I will complain to my team that I really hate in order to test this, I have to set up the whole enchilada and it yes. bugs the crap out of me. Yes. And, it, and I bet you it happens at most places you've ever worked on most products you've ever worked on yes. is yes. that when Nook push comes to shove in order to make the smallest change, you need to set up quote unquote, the whole enchilada. Yes. And you were trying to avoid that here. Well, not, you know, your, your team, 
by having tight, small, ignorant services that took a request, uh, gave a response, in, in even somewhat of a functional way, like for this request, yeah. you get this response. Absolutely. I don't care who you are. Absolutely. You might be a web page. You might Absolutely. be a Raspberry Pi. Yes. You might be a sneaker net. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Absolutely. No. And that absolutely is. So there's a couple of benefits that were just blatantly obvious that were to, to me, one of the reasons why I had such a problem kind of saying this is the wrong thing, right? Is because that was, that was the most blatantly obvious one was that we ended up having, instead of having a, an endpoint that is a, a web handler, right? And, and I'm using that term very specifically, meaning I take an HTTP request and I deserialize it and then I do some stuff with it and I send back an HTTP response. We ended up with classes, simple classes. Now, one could argue that you can achieve the same thing with something like WCF, right? We just create a class yeah. and then the transport is secondary. Absolutely. But we ended up with classes and those classes were ridiculously small and they were based on messaging, which I hate to overuse that term, but messaging <laughs> meaning a contract, right? There, it yeah. had inputs and it had outputs. Exact, I'm basically just saying exactly what you just said, Chris. And it, it, not only that, they were small, right? And so we had a bunch of basically just classes that lived somewhere, right? And we were effectively doing, you know, AWS Lambda, you know, functioned as a yeah. service kind and of thing. And the nice thing there is, is the, the, the worlds that they lived in, different code, right? Yeah, so now you can treat be. them generically. Yeah, yes, yes. And like you're each testing of these each classes. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And when you wanted to yeah. add behavior to the platform, now it became a platform. It wasn't an endpoint. It wasn't an application. It was a platform that you could just add new functionality to. So you wanted to add a new operation, bam, you just put it out there, right? And it, we're not dealing with microservices, or maybe you want to call microservices. I don't know. Now we're getting into semantics. Yeah. But I had I mean, this piece of functionality that I could just throw out there on the network and the, the reason I could do that is because I was using a queue, a messaging queue, as kind of the platform, as the communication of how this stuff got routed and, and everything. Are we describing like a homegrown version of Azure Service Fabric? I guess. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I was going to say, that. The, or the funny thing is, you guys end up using a message queue. You didn't need a message queue to achieve that. What you okay. needed was, in the old days, MTS or Enterprise Java Beans. Today, we have things like Service Fabric. That kind of will do that. That does that for you, right? I'm just going to call a service. The fabric figures out that how do being I load discovery. up that service. Yeah, it does all discovery. the discovery. It manages yeah. everything for you. It's a runtime. In your case, what you were doing, you, you were using Service Bus to achieve that. But in order to get into to buy into it to get it to work, you had to use a queue. But even then, even then, with and now I haven't really used them in practice, but with uh, with Service Fabric. Aren't you calling, isn't it like kind of RPC based where you're calling like an interface and calling an operation? And same thing with WCF, right? If you're going to create a WCF service, yes, you achieve the same thing, which is just regular classes that it doesn't are ignorant of the transport usually. Yeah. Um, but but when you, you eventually turn them into an RPC call, meaning that as the consumer, I need to know the interface of the thing I'm calling, then I need to call it. Versus the, the difference here between what, what I'm talking about and what you're talking about is when I send a message, I don't care about any of that. I'm not calling anything. I'm expecting that I get a response back. I'm expecting that I get a, 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 a message back in a certain format, in a certain contract. In other words, I'm simplifying it down to when I send this contract out into Ether, I get this contract back. I'm not calling anything specifically. I'm just expecting that I'm going to get something back. 
so you are you are correct in the terms of service fabric, though I believe there's probably a way to get around it. In the terms of WCF, there was a relay. There was a relay service that would allow you to get away from that. Do the idea was you call the relay service, and you would you, you well you soap you would have soap message. The envelope would be the the header would be where you want to go, and the message would be in the in the envelope. And you would just say, "Here, relay, you figure it out." I'm so just I, you. I've never even heard of that, which makes me think that it was either really complex or not many people knew it existed. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, oh, uh, I found when it came to WCF, like after the okay, I created a service with some operations. And then I use Visual Studio to make the client proxy. That was where <laughs> that was where almost everyone stopped. Yep. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. The, that too. WCF was an extremely powerful system. Yeah. I, when I work with Service Fabric, I'm like, you know, if I had this WCF, if I could just add WCF to this, I'd gain all these other things. Like the idea of the protocol would be not yeah. just HTTP, and, and I could easily switch things out. Yeah. Right. And there are ways we like, for instance, the system I'm working on recently, we're actually using remoting. Which I'm actually trying to figure out if it's actually .NET remoting because I've seen some comma errors come back. Um, yeah, there's something great like working in 2018 to get you got a comma exception. I'm like, hmm, Microsoft, where? Hey. I, and I'm like, I'm ready to get So where exactly are you getting that comma message from? Yeah. Also, the and problem I, with remoting is the versions of those contracts, right? Is that's generally based on. Yeah, and again, you you get you get the abstraction because basically it's it's an HTTPS. It's an HTTP call, right? It's a web API call at the end of the day. Sure. Yeah. Or what you end up doing is wrapping it, right? Because most a client, a web client, can't call into the system. You need you need a, a physical HTTP endpoint to make it work. Yeah. But again, Service Fabric. The nice thing about Service Fabric is you don't care too much about that as long as you provide some web API endpoint for okay. an outsider to call. And then internally, you can make all the calls you want. And there's right. different ways. So then, then you're saying I'm wrong not for using end service bus because I didn't, but because I didn't use service fabric. <laughs> well, no. You, you picked a technology, and the technology took you down a pattern. The pattern there was you needed messaging. No, and then no, you, no, no, no. I mean, we, you know, we, we chose end service bus because we wanted to implement this pattern. Okay. And end service bus is one of the better ones to do that. You, but... There are other options, right? And then there's other options that have pros and cons. You, you talked about one, the idea that there may be still a tight coupling. Even though you, you're gaining abstraction, you still have to deal with, well, I'm going to, this is the message structure. While before, it's a, you're not calling the endpoint, right? You're just putting in the mailbox, right? Use our metaphor again. Nah, now, I, I completely reject that because there's always a contract, right? Whenever you have a request response, whether it's RPC or, or message-based, you have a contract, right? When the message I send has this, a contract. Yes, the message has a contract. The messages are the contract. Yeah, when I send this, I expect this, and I expect it to be in Where the thing is physically located is irrelevant. Yeah. When you have a – we'll use a WCF example – Chris talked about it, right? I generated the proxy. Now my proxy is specifically talking yeah, to that right. endpoint, <laughs> right? I actually have to tell it, don't use yes. the endpoint you hard-coded in your generated code. Use yeah, this endpoint. Yeah, yeah. And then I have to deal with all the other overhead. Where with, at least with microservices and service fabric, you kind of get away from that to a degree. Well, it hides it from you. It still yeah, happens. It just hides it from you. Yeah, yeah like yeah. to use your, your example, you were still using a queue, even though you weren't specifically saying, watch for this queue. You were simply saying, I want to stick a message out here and I'm going to wait. Yeah. I know we're supposed to come back some sometime soon. Yeah, okay. So then getting back to the other uh, benefit that I saw and developer tying it back into developer productivity was the notion that everything and then this is also kind of talking about the fact that the gets and the you know the reads and everything else we were taking the same pattern. 
as a developer, if I wanted to add new functionality, this is how I did it, right? I, I went and I threw that, uh, I created a, 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 a message, a, a request message. I created a handler for that message, which returned a response. And then I just okay. went and called that by sending something out of the bus. And I did that whether I wanted a read or whether I wanted a, a change operation. So let's get into that. And that was very productive, right? It was just kind of the one pattern that developers had to learn and you just kind of knew how to solve your problem, whether it was a read or not. And I'm, I'm very deliberately separating reads and not because even some of those reads were complex enough in the case of like aggregates where I needed to go to like five different sources to collect this aggregate object. Mm -hmm. Some of the reads were complex enough that this model and the latency, the performance hit of the latency actually made sense. It did pay off. But then we just said for the, the sake of simplicity and for the developers just not to have to really worry about it and think about it or prematurely optimize it. We just said, just use it, use the same pattern for, for everything. You have tell a hammer. Me, tell me the nail. Exactly. Tell me why that's wrong. Well, tell me, it's, tell me why we were wrong there. I mean, you could argue the simplistic patterns, right? I could make uh, the decorator pattern solve all problems when strategy is a better thing for replacing a case statement. That would be my argument there that, yeah, the message bus makes sense for these set of operations, but other ones, no. Or maybe what you do is you have a single listener, right? You, you, you simplify it somewhere. When you say, right, when I get this kind of message, just go over here and handle it real quick and then respond back. There, there are ways to make it work. Yeah. And, but we're not getting you... specific requirements. To me, that's ultimately the right. You, you, when you talk about things abstractly, they all make perfect sense, right? Yeah, but it's not it's not the difference between a case statement and a strategy pattern. It's it's it is distributed systems, right? And and making that a little bit easier for the developers and mass to 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 address, right? And so let's say you have a team of average or even above average developers but none of them are geniuses and it's not that i don't it's not that you don't trust them to do the right thing it's that if everyone each individual is kind of making a judgment call for each case the chance for making the wrong call kind of increases or it works one way but then someone makes a change that unexpectedly introduces yeah right it it changes the effect the behavior right Right, right. Or, or you yeah, tried to it, give them small enough responsibilities that they could only mess up a small area. Yeah. And I mean, and, quite and frankly, not, just t- talking the way we are about worrying about developers messing up stuff does make me uncomfortable. But there is a kind of a truth to it, right? To it, Just going back to developer productivity, right? If you make it easy enough for the average person to do, then a genius can do it too, right? But if you kind of depend on all of your developers being geniuses, even the genius developers aren't geniuses all the time, right? No, yeah. Or they they don't scale. (laughs) Right, right. Or there may be a genius at one thing, but then they need to talk to DB2, and they're like, I'm not going to talk to DB2, I don't know anything about it. Right. (laughs) But the guy that's the database guy, he knows everything about DB2, but then he's like, well, how do I make this thing work? It would be so nice if I just had to get it at call and then I make my request to the server. Yeah. But so specifically tying this back to the, to this pattern, right. And this approach and, and the, the major drawback that you guys keep coming back on is performance, right? So basically what, what we did was we sacrificed the performance of all the calls for, you know, developer productivity and, and, and whatnot. Um, and, and if and, you can throw money at that problem, right. it might be cheaper than the developers. Right. Right. Yeah, the the inherent thing that gets the 
the elephant in the room is when the first system comes out, it's really good. But then if you keep trying to jam everything down the same pattern, you actually could make it more complex to maintain. Yeah. What yeah. you're trying to achieve actually could become an anti-pattern. And that, well, that's it, hard to know, right? I mean, and, and yeah. your approach necessarily didn't inherently have that problem. It's just the idea that you keep trying to force everything down that same messaging and all of a sudden it just doesn't work. <laughs> or Absolutely. Or, again, what, and what I've ended up seeing happening is people put abstractions on top, right? All of a sudden now they've put this monolithic system. They made the web API monolithic. <laughs> Behind the scenes, it's all great. But then every time someone wants to make a call change, they all have to go to the big WCF project and make a new method. <laughs> oh, no, but right, and we just hit the hour mark, and now we're all about to uh, we're about to go into the conversation of monolith versus distributed and microservices, right? Like, I, I, I'm not. Those really are all sure. buzzwords, right? The, 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 microservices is the same no, way we. No, but my point is, when you're talking about complexity and abstracting things out and making things more modular, now we have, now, now those modulars, the, those those modules need to communicate with each other and need to coordinate with each other that is simplified by just not breaking them out by keeping them as a monolith right in the in the most abstract terms possible right i mean that's that's fundamentally your your argument is that the more you break things up the more complicated it it gets that system gets just because there are more things interacting with each other but then the logical inverse of that is a monolith where everything is the same. Yeah. Or you're just saying that there's you, you should be in so the middle. Ground. In my experience, because I'm, I mean, I'm the Mr. Solid guy, right? Yeah. I want to see a small class or small services with one page of code. Don't don't make me scroll the scroll bar. In my experience, working with microservices or, or MTS back in the day or any kind of distributed type system, where things start to get really complex is serialization. Right, the minute I put that behind some kind of even with WCF, the minute I put it behind WCF firewall or service, everything works great. But then I have this complex object that it doesn't serialize. So the way I'm going to do, I'm going to create a DTO and I'm going to take my data and put it into the thing that does serialize. Well, now I've incurred even more overhead. Well, that's true. Anytime you're messaging between distributed systems, right? Yeah, and we'll think about it, right? I mean, JSON day to day makes things a lot easier because Jason says, hey, I can kind of serialize anything, really, to Jason because it's a big, long string. The web is inherently distributed, right? And make a call from a dynamic environment to your server, I can send you anything, right? It's a contract, but it, ultimately I'm just sending you a big, long string saying, I hope you can figure it out. And we have great technologies like uh, MVC and stuff that would model binding it generally figures everything out for us, right? Where in the old days, when like an RPC call, like COM days, you, you if you didn't match that contract directly, you'd be like, yeah, common or, or yeah, I unknown yeah. error or something. Yeah, sure. So the abstractions that make it, HTTP makes make it easier for us to things to sort of work or, or not have the inherent overhead of, well, I got to be specifically exactly matched the structure. It makes the contracts more lenient. Yeah. So ultimately, I think it, it comes down to this. And I think we're all, we all agree. The idea of microservices or breaking things down into the smallest possible unit makes sense. There's no, that's not a wrong thing. The question is, once you've done that, and I think it's ultimately what we're trying to talk about today is now how do we communicate, right? Messaging is one way, just using something like Service Fabric or, or some other uh, runtime that does the, the, the clustering technology and, the, and the, the other things is another approach. A third approach is the, the, the evil thing that no one wants to talk about anymore, but it actually was quite powerful, was BizTalk. 
BizTalk actually made a lot of this stuff really easy for developers. Now, the problem was you had to have a PhD in BizTalk to even do a simple thing. <laughs> um, but ultimately, were any kind of like old EDI-type systems. They were very powerful ways of just, they just made everything work because you were just like, it's just data. I'm going to get data in this format. And when I'm done, I'm going to say, well, when I get this data in this format, call this over here, and I don't care. I'm just going to put that endpoint there, and it's going to work. By decoupling things and making microservices, you don't have to use messaging queue. There's advantages to using messaging queue, which is that, like you were talking about, Jess, the you're more even more decoupled. You're just saying, I'm going to put this on the queue, and I know eventually it'll go where it needs to go. Yeah. I don't have to have, I don't need to have any other information. I don't even know there's a service, right? Which is ultimately a, a plus. You're going to write your service. I don't care when you write your service. I'm just going to be like, you and I have agreed on a contract. I'm going to stick it on the queue, and someday you'll deploy your service, and it will see that message and take it off. Yeah, and someday on my response queue, I'll get an answer. And this is what feels weird, though, right, Jess, is that I'm still waiting for the response message just so I can complete the HTTP request that started this whole thing. <laughs> Yep. Which, and it feels weird, even though it's probably happening in, in milliseconds. It just feels weird. It's the same milliseconds that we ask the client to wait around while we call the database. Exactly. Well, right. It might, be a, it might be a few more milliseconds, but, right. but <laughs> right. we, we still were making the client wait around regardless. That's, but no, but that, that's not something to gloss over, right? If we, if we choose the RPC approach, we are still blocking and waiting for that response. The The... The, the, the browser knows no different. It still takes them 300 milliseconds or to your point, maybe 350 or 400 milliseconds, but like they're still waiting and then they eventually get a response. I am still waiting. I, the yeah. server, you know, is when I'm making the, the, or sorry, the web server, the web application on the server, when I'm making that call to the middle tier directly, I'm getting my response back in 200 milliseconds. I'm still waiting 200 milliseconds versus throwing a message on a queue, waiting 300 milliseconds and getting that same response back. It's still, I'm still waiting. Yeah. waiting Somebody's still waiting because even if you said, even if you said this, well, ah, I'll be super clever and, and I'll actually close that get request and use a different type of response mechanism, whether it's like a web socket or something. Yeah, well, guess yeah, what? Yeah. Now the user is waiting. Right. Yes. Yeah. So somebody's still waiting for UI to change in your example. Yeah. I think really the only difference is when I'm calling a specific endpoint in what my, what my uh, manager likes to say is that you have a, someone's nectar ring, right? Like <laughs> if that service call fails, I know you're responsible for that. You, that service call is the one that failed versus a message that just never gets responded to. Yeah. I have no idea what happened. And just to kind of tie this all up and kind of, close out the story one of the big thing again i left before we actually got it into production not because it was awful it was just other reasons but one of the one of the yeah right message i came and it never came back just went to lunch they're still waiting they're watching when is he coming back i came in and said guys we should use end service bus and then uh, i quit uh have fun with that no before I left, what the, the last thing that we were really having problems with is diagnosing all of this stuff, right? We had all these services. We had all these messages being passed around, and we just didn't have the maturity there, the logging, the diagnostics, to really kind of visualize and see what was going on. And so when we did have that freak accident where a message went out and that response that we were expecting to come back never came back, it was like impossible to track down what actually happened. And I think that was really just kind of a maturity thing where we needed to get that instrumentation in place where if today, yeah. if we did it, it might be easier to do, but 
that's also kind of an inherent drawback to this. I, I this is actually you hit on something very important, which is instrumentation is something I think as an industry we don't do enough of. No, uh, yeah, yeah. But when you introduce a queue, you, you almost have to because yeah. you're inherently going to put it somewhere and you don't know what's going to happen. Yes. Right. When I make the RPC call, I know I'm going to make that call. Right. So I can simply say I'm going to make this call. Right. And then okay, it came back and it failed. Great, I'll log that message. It's in right. the IIS log. It's in the IIS log that it's. Uh, I don't know what's going to come back. It may never yeah. come back, right? And yeah. all when it could be my mistake where I put the wrong message on there, right? Or I, I yeah. truncated something, or I didn't quote right. The infamous my my text had double quotes in it, so it broke everything. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so it, it, this gets back to what I talked about. Bistock is the idea that it kind of gave you some other stuff, but yeah, I mean. When we work with service fabric, we're actually taking advantage of application insights because it just works yeah, and it does a lot there. of good things for us. Yeah. But we're buying into the whole platform, right? Yeah. So we're just gonna like go all of a sudden like, good tomorrow, let's move everything to AWS. No, we'd have to go with whatever AWS would give us to that equivalent. Um but the same thing with service bus, right? The minute you made that service decision to use service bus, you weren't gonna go switch over to uh, I think it was server stack or some other ones that are out there that kind of do the same thing. Well, that was kind of the point I was making earlier that the actual logic was in regular old classes, right? Yes. And we kind of attached them to service bus. It was kind of secondary. But what you needed to do the instrumentation was around service bus, right? Yeah, sure. You needed yeah. to have something with monitor, which by putting into a queue, it's a little easier to do that because you simply say, hey, every message that comes through, log the message. And send <laughs> right. It. right, right, right. Chris, any, any closing remarks? No, I, other than like, you know, we kind of talked about the same scenario for a little over an hour. That was interesting. But, um, <laughs> we only but, really but each the of these choices, each of these choices, either added complexity, removed complexity, added latency. Um, I found it interesting that in order to reduce complexity, you said, let's create a system of classes that that limits the developer's play area and makes it super easy for them to work day to day. But at the same time, now the complexity got pushed to the diagnostic end because yeah. in the classic web server calls a database scenario, you're going to get some fat SQL exception <laughs> that everybody instantly will look at and go, Oh, I guess a SQL server was down. Like you just, you yeah. read those exceptions in the classic way of doing things and yeah. you go, Oh, okay. I see what happened. But in this new world, it's, well, we never got a response. What happened? Oh, <laughs> Yeah. So or you, so, you need to make sure that response, that, that SQL error message comes back in a way that whoever's going to listen for it can do something intelligent with it. Yeah, right. That's actually Our, been my experience, too. With exception management even becomes more critical. You have to, you can't return exceptions because it's going to just mess everything up. You have to wrap the exception and then have something that can handle wrapped exceptions and do something with it. Yep. And is that message, is it a poison message? Does somebody need to go look <laughs> at it later? Do we need to have a dashboard with the poison message queue? And what then do we, we do? do? Oh, but poison messages don't belong in the poison message queue. They can be DQ'd. Yeah. And then in, in, oh. the, in the wonderful order 2018, some 10 year old goes to Reddit and finds out, hmm, there's some queue over here. I can start listening and, and, and do things with that queue. <laughs> yeah, you accidentally exposed your queue on the internet. Oh, good. <laughs> no, it's not like we're using MongoDB or anything. And, uh, let me let me guess. Let me guess. Your message uh, your message bus secrets are in the GitHub repo too. Right? <laughs> yes, there you go. Perfect. Yes. All right. And on that on that note, uh, and you listener, what do you think? 
We'd love to know. Like I said earlier, I'm sure some of you have just been screaming at uh, at your at your radio or whatever you listen to this on. Um, just tell me what what, I'm, what an idiot I am and, and how I'm slowing down this, the the system. Don't don't yell into just the air and into your empty car or, or this radio or 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 your radio or whatever ancient thing you're you're listening on. Um, get a Track. get get an iPod or something. Um, Send us an email. That's Let us yeah, know. Don't leave a comment on the website, staticvoidpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. I would love to hear how wrong I am. Uh, just let us know. Chris, <laughs> other Tom, ideas. What, what, what is, yes, is your interest in uh, yes, hearing about? Uh, yes. And say, if, if you're tired of listening to me talk about how ignorant I am in architecture, what else would you want to listen about? Because unfortunately... <laughs> That's all I've got is ignorance in architecture. <laughs> so if you're He's relying, a manager. Don't let him believe <laughs> If you're relying on us to come up with topics, uh, you know, that's what you're going to get. So you, you give us some topics. Uh, Chris, Todd, thanks for the chat, as always. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And thank you, listener, for spending the time with us. We hope that you enjoyed it, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Static Boy Podcast.